0: We wish you a merry Christmas. We wish you a merry Christmas. We wish you a merry Christmas and a happy New Year. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. La 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 la. What's the matter, Margaret? Jack Frost nipping at your nose? Mr. Lind, I've been your housekeeper for fifteen years. So will you trust me when I tell you something? Of course, Margaret. It's not Christmas. Why don't you go dust? <laughs> Here comes Peter Cottontail. Up and down the bunny trail. Hippity hoppity Easter's on its way. Mr. Lynde. Don't tell me. It's not, not Easter. <laughs> Margaret. Go prune a tree. (laughs) My funny valentine Sweet comic valentine What is it then? Chinese New Year, Uh, April Fool, May Day, Pay Day, Uh, V.J. Day, Groundhog Day? Smile when I get warm. (laughs) You you can smile, can't you? I'll give you a hint. It's full of witches and spooks and strange creatures of the night. Oh, sounds like Hollywood Squares. (laughs) (laughs) We go through this every year. You know perfectly well what holiday it is. Okay, okay. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. be.
1: It's the Paul Lynn Halloween special, starring Paul Lynn, with Paul's special guest, Tim Conway, Roz Pinky, Tuscadero, Kelly, Margaret Hamilton, Billy Hayes, Billy Barty. special guest star, Florence Henderson. A special appearance by Betty White and a rock and roll explosion Kiss and now the Paul in Halloween special
2: Dave Jusk, our Halloween special is here tonight, look at all the clips we'll be playing, yay, everyone thinks I am totally gay, woo, hi everybody, how you doing, (laughs) wow, what an intro, how are you everybody? Dave Dreskow podcast uh, coming out of nowhere with some uh, different kind of music today. I don't know what's happening and uh, playing up front. What? the You know what? I hate myself. The Paul Lynn Halloween special. Oh, it happened. I mean, those of you who know the show probably know about it. But for Christ's sakes, this show was what they call a complete. Well, I suppose they call it a gay train wreck. <laughs> um I had never heard about it. I don't remember it as a kid. I think it probably you know it aired once and never aired again. I'm pretty sure ABC was uh, terrified that they aired it. It's horrible I've I've really never actually seen the whole thing. I've seen it in pieces and I actually went to when I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? like yesterday I was thinking, why am I not doing a live reading of that show for the podcast? And then I was like, why am I not doing a live reading of that show? At the Comedy Cellar, what's the matter with me? I must be the stupidest person on the planet. That is the funniest thing ever. So, yeah, I'm pissed at myself. I, I can't believe I never thought about that. Obviously, next year, I'll I'll, I'll plan it. Next year, I'm going to do the Paul Lynn Holiday Special. Now, granted, the reason I think I thought about it, because I actually went to a live, it wasn't a reading Somebody at a very small theater many years ago, I actually went with Tom Shalhoub, now that I think about it. Um, we Somebody else invited us, and I invited him, and we went to see them perform a Hallow- the Paul Lynn Halloween special, and it was not good. Um, but I can make it good, and it, it'll be classic, I think. I mean, it's so bad, uh, and nobody knows what it is, but you know, it's Halloween, and it's a special. The, the problem is... Uh, I don't know who I get to play all the parts because, you know, I do all the parts. I mean, we're talking about Paul Lynn. Obviously, I'm going to play that. And then Margaret Hamilton, your little dog, too. I mean, that's at the beginning. That's who he's riding in the car with, Margaret. I understand. You know, <laughs> oh, they, we didn't see that part. That's right. Uh, that That's his housekeeper, Margaret Hamilton from The Wizard of Oz, the original Wicked Witch of the West. And, okay, so I don't know if you've seen it. But one of the sketches is he goes to a haunted house that the Bargain Hamilton is driving him to when, before she becomes the witch, and it is inhabited by her sister, get ready for it, witchy-poo from H.R. Puffin Stuff, as we're going to be talking about more next week uh, with my guest, Mr. Mitch Watson, the great Mitch Watson from uh, DreamWorks Animation. That is next week. Now, again, this, this Paul, I mean, what, what is the matter with me that I'm not doing it? I mean, I, I, I have to be the stupidest person. I mean, he has an opening monologue. And that alone, I, I mean, I, I think, I don't know about the reading. I, I think you just got to memorize it and do it.
0: It was my Avon lady. <laughs> Oh, I so I gave her a box of ding dongs.
2: <laughs> that was the difference. Listen to him, he sounds you know, amazing. I so they
0: got no sense of humor. She smeared my windows with soap on a rope. The next kid just wanted to use my bathroom. I said, trick or treat. And he said, now or never.
1: <laughs>
0: when I was young, Halloween was different. There was something about me that, uh, that stood out. <laughs> In fact, everything stood out. <laughs> I was fat. It's
2: so funny. He's just standing in front of a pumpkin doing a monologue. It's it's so... I need to do a Halloween special. I, I think I just need to always do a Halloween special like this, like a bad Halloween special. You know what I'm talking about? I need to just make a bad 70s variety show. I've been planning it for years, and... Now that they have Netflix, you can actually do it. I mean, I never saw Bill Murray's show. I wonder if that was like that a lot, you know? I mean, they have Kiss on this show. Kiss, you know? And they're awesome in it. And they sing this song. King of the Nighttime World, then I think I would start my show with this. Yeah. Recognize it yet? Yeah, that's how you open your show, with the king of the night, what time world? The thick of the night, right? Who needs kiss when you have the thick of the night? Woo! Uh, I mean, how do you not open my Halloween special with the thick of the night song, or at least something, you know, that sounds completely 80s, you know? I mean, it's either going to be that or obviously the... uh... Oh, I'm off my game today, but you know what I'm talking about. Welcome to the Halloween special, everybody. Well, I don't mind telling you, it's been when I was a kid, I was fat. People used to come trick or treating around my house, and I would say, and they'd they'd ding dong, and it was the Avon lady, and I gave her some ding (laughs) dong. Could you endure an hour? Oh, what's the matter with me? Why do I want to do that so badly? And you guys know you want to see it. Who are you kidding? You know damn well you want to see me do a Paul Lynn Halloween special, let alone just a regular Halloween special, but I don't see how I would be able to not just do it as Paul Lynn. Every year, we'll do a different one. We'll make up a new Paul Lynn special. I'll just play Paul Lynn. It's so obvious. Oh, my God. How am I not doing that? What's the matter with me? Why?
1: Why?
0: (laughs) Oh,
2: oh, I need to do it immediately. You know what I was thinking of doing today? Uh, If you heard last week's uh, podcast with uh, Rachel Butera, who's uh, lovely and delightful. Again, you know, for me, I mean, people have told me they don't know the difference, but I can tell the difference. There's something wrong with the sound quality. It's just not as, as crisp as it is in my stupid apartment with with no, you know, I mean, they got a state-of-the-art facility there, and it's just not crisp enough for yours truly, and you know how upset I get about that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, that's the only thing that drives me crazy. Otherwise, I enjoyed the show. Obviously, the clips aren't very good there because they're playing on the speakers. What are you going to do? I had a really good time. Uh this week, I think, I don't know what Vanessa and I are doing. Vanessa, my manager, she really does, um, she just stinks. I, there's just no other word for it. It's really bad. So I got to rethink my whole future, uh, and I'm back on myself again because I got to you know, figure something out because she's useless. I mean, really, I feel bad. She's obviously a very nice person, but we had two meetings again. Every meeting we've ever had has been canceled. Every single one. We've never had one. Now, she got me that studio, which was lovely, but if you think about it, like, I can just bring my equipment and go interview those people, well, anywhere, really. I can get a hotel room and do it. I can Harvey Weinstein it up and just invite people, and I'll sit in my bathrobe, and, you know, I guess as long as it's guys, it's okay. I suppose Rachel would, would be a little uptight about it, but uh, the guys don't care, right? I mean, up until two weeks ago, that was acceptable. Now, I guess you can't have anybody in the hotel room, you know. I filmed a bunch of Dr. Katz stuff in a hotel room. Uh, I didn't think any of it then, but now, now you gotta second guess everything. This Harvey Weinstein. And how great is it? Okay, so two weeks ago. I told you that I had a problem because this guy was ruining my thing with a sober companion. Well, now it's out in the open. It's Ben Affleck. It's Ben Affleck. You know how much I hate this guy, Ben Affleck. I did an entire podcast on what a douche this guy is. His ancestors were slave owners. He's trying to cover it up. Now he's trying to cover up. He didn't know what Harvey Weinstein. This guy sucks. And somebody has to stop Ben Affleck from doing anything. He stinks. He's covering up everything. He's looking like he's going to sober competitive. He's taking pictures. It's all setups, uh, you know, with his kids. Oh, I'm a good father. He stinks. And now we know for sure. It's like always when there's like a chaotic thing, this guy is a problem. Ben Affleck ruined my weekend that day because I was dating that sober companion. And then I, I just, I mean, I can't even believe. And I, could, I didn't want to say who it is. Now I'm telling you what it is. There's pictures. It's all over the place. Who gives a shit? And now he's in the news because of course he knew what Harvey Weinstein was doing. Now, I didn't know what Harvey Weinstein was doing. I certainly know what other people are doing. James Toback, I think that's his name, right? James Toback. James Toback uh, is all out now. Now There's like 2,000 women coming out. James Toback was a director and a producer and a writer who apparently used to prowl Central Park and look for girls. Now, I've seen... First of all, James Toback, I've heard, was a scumbag since 1987 when he directed The Pickup Artist uh, with Robert Downey Jr. Did I hear it from Robert Downey Jr.? I'm not going to say. But uh, obviously, you know, I got a connection there. So when he was making The Pickup Artist with Molly Ringwald and shit, somehow, I remember this story in 1987. I don't know why, or whenever that movie was, I remember the turmoil of that movie. I remember either reading it in the papers or knowing inside information. I don't think it was a secret. I tried to look up some stuff online about it, but there was no information. James Toback was so fucked up and he's so... Messed up on drugs and whatever fetishes he has. He didn't even complete the movie. From what I was told back in the day when the pickup artist was a horrible movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Mario Ringwald. But it sticks in my mind forever for some God knows reason because there were only three movies that came out a year back then. Warren Beatty had to finish directing the movie. Warren Beatty had to finish directing the pickup artist. Why was Warren Beatty producing that movie? I don't know. I don't know the connection because that movie came out before Bugsy, which James Toback wrote for Warren Beatty. There's some sort of connection. My connection, my guess is the connection between James Toback and Warren Beatty, who I believe are maybe 10 years apart, was being poonhounds. And that's a pretty good connection. They love pussy. They love girls. They love uh, being awkward. But the difference between James Toback and Warren Beatty is... Um, women are fawning over Warren Beatty Even in 1980 I mean he, he's still gorgeous uh, And and James Toback has to work it You know Like you know Most of the guys we know uh, And that's a big difference Now So I remember back then When he was you know and He's writing a movie called The Pickup Artist About a guy that just kind of trolls I mean watch the movie it's written about a guy that does it's written by a guy who does exactly that. He just loves hitting on women. And I'll never forget that movie. Danny Aiello is like this diner owner and he goes in there all So I remember I'm remembering this from the only time I've seen it in 1987. I don't know why it sticks in my mind cuz it was so stupid. Uh Dennis Hopper I think plays uh, Molly Ringwald's dad. They have to get him out of trouble. They got to go to Atlantic City. I remember cuz they go to Atlantic City to win money for Molly Ringwald's dad and she wins and I was like I got to do that. Um and they're in this little mini car that Robert Downey Jr. has, and he rides around, and she's a teacher. I remember the whole thing. But it's all about a guy that just hits on women wherever he goes, the park, the school, the museum. He hits on girls. That's the thing. So, you know, in 1987, who gives a shit? That's a fine movie. Uh, It's a fine premise. But it's clearly written by a guy who does that because who writes a movie like that? You know, I, I don't think I could write a movie like that because when you write a movie, you usually have to write a movie about something you know. It's got to start that way. So I don't think I'd ever come up with an idea saying, hey, let's write a movie about a guy that just picks up women all the time. I don't think I would ever have an idea. My idea would be, let's write a movie about a guy that always has trouble with women. I mean, that right? Isn't that how it works? It's like when I, uh, sometimes when I talk about Schitt's Creek, the problem I had with the first season of Schitt's Creek is that Eugene Levy's son, who is the writer and probably the creator of this show, was was he gay was he straight uh and you know it was it was bothering me uh in the sense I don't I was just like this is annoying I I need to know because I need to know why a guy who would create a show uh, a straight man would you know what would be great if my character was totally bisexual I, I'm sorry uh but as a, a writer and a comedian and a, and a straight straight man you know technically right um I can never see myself writing a script for myself and all the things that I ever think about where I'd be like, you know what would be interesting in this? If I played a gay guy. I, I don't think I could ever do that. I mean, this is what guys do in the movies. This is why Harvey Weinstein does what he does. We're men. We we produce and write movies to get girls. So, you, you know, when I talk about the uh, someone to eat cheese with, the Jeff Garland uh, movie that he completely wrote so he could make out with Sarah Silverman because this happens in Hollywood since the the daytime began um, I can't deny I'm doing the same thing myself I mean I'm not trying to make out with girls in the movies but you know I I when I write something I'm picturing myself with pretty girls. I can't deny every time I think about, you know, I'd really, when when I'm thinking about shows in my head to do, I'm not thinking about it to get, but, you know, I can't deny. I'm like, boy, I would really like to ask uh, this really pretty comic that I know to, hey, would you be interested in being in this new show I have? I think it would be good for you. I can't, you know, because I am a guy. I'm a guy and I'm trying to meet girls and it's a great way to meet girls. Now, meanwhile, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have her over here and be in my bathrobe when she comes over. Uh, In fact, I can't even show them crashing because I wouldn't even want to show them myself in a towel. So where this Harvey Weinstein thinks it's a great idea to open when you look like a bag of shit to open in a towel when you come to the door. I, I don't know where he's getting that from because the fact of the matter is he could probably get super laid just by being polite and nice. Uh, there's so many desperate women who are dying to be in a movie. I don't think he needed to do any of that. When you look like that, but you're powerful and you have money, you know, things just kind of fall together. And, I mean, look at his wife. She was so hot. And she's a designer she's cool. Yeah, You wonder to yourself why you even have to go to those measures. But obviously he's got a problem. He's got a fetish or whatever it is. But... The thing about what I was going to say about James Toback, uh, going back to it, is that, you know, like I've known he, he's an idiot from day one. It's just funny that it's all coming out now. And so this guy used to troll Central Park. Now, I remember a guy. Um, this week, my guests were supposed to be Vincent Masso, who we've talked about on the show, who played the character, and we're going to get to it. A Bobby Barbarino, I swear to God, I'm Welcome Back Cotter, took over from Vinnie Barbarino playing his brother. And the great Larry Moss, who I have been talking about for two years, and I was going to introduce you to him. Larry Moss got a new DVD out. He's an, a legendary acting teacher. He's the, he is the new Stella Adler or Lee Strausberg uh, in Hollywood, in the, the American theater. I swear to God. And I've talked to you about him a hundred times, you know, when actors are around and they meet him, you know, and you're, you're going to get to meet him. He was supposed to be here today, uh, taping this on Wednesday, coming out on Monday, uh, but uh, he couldn't make it, so we're gonna try again next week. We're gonna try again next week. He's promoting a new DVD. He's—I hope he's gonna be a fascinating interview. Sometimes he's very secretive. He is very secretive about the clients. Now, meanwhile, you can say he's very secretive about the clients. But you go to his website, and you know it's all like Leonardo DiCaprio going, "Larry's the man." You know, whatever the, You know, all these people. But let alone, you can't be secretive when Sutton Foster and Helen Hunt and um, who's that girl from Million Dollar uh, Baby, uh you know, that girl that looks like a man. Uh <laughs> when they're all saying, Thank you, Larry Moss. So it's not really a secret, is it? Uh, but he is the most coveted acting teacher on the planet right now. And he's going to be here in my living room, hopefully next week, but he was supposed to be here this week. And uh I don't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> I totally got thrown off guard. I know I was talking about creepiness in film and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I got thrown off. I'm sorry. I'll try and remember my place later. But we're talking about... Oh, I'm sorry. I do remember now. Uh, I was talking about this guy uh, who Vincent used to work with. This guy, Chris Lamb. I'm just saying his name. It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, he, I think he's uh, a mess. I don't think he listens or whatever. But it doesn't matter. the point is, this guy was a bartender, and he was... I don't want to say he was a poonhound because I don't know how much he got laid. But he would go out on the streets, not on purpose... He just had the balls as a man. You know, you're like, God, that guy's got balls. To go up to women on the street and be like, God, you're beautiful. Are you a model? You know, he had the line. And then he goes, I'm a photographer. And and what, if he did it 100 times, maybe um, three times, it would work. And the girls would come back and he would take pictures of them. And then he would try and get them to take their tops off. Uh, but I swear to God, I mean, I know this guy really well. Yes, of course, he wanted to have sex with them if that worked out. But he didn't do it in a creepy way. He wasn't a creepy guy. If the women, He wouldn't force them in anything. But when they got there, they tried to do get their tops off. I know many women where they fell for that. Uh, his photography stuff was horrible because he was usually totally hammered. But he was a nice guy. But he was just trying to get laid. And if photography is the way he got laid, then that's the way he did it. Because all of us don't produce major motion pictures that garner Oscars. So we have to do whatever we want. So now, if you're, I mean, this guy would go to Central Park and hit on women. You're telling me you're not allowed to go do that anymore? We're all screwed. Now, I'm not saying that this James Toback was obviously an asshole because he was doing some real fucked up shit, uh, you know. But he, but yeah, he would use the friends. He was used to, the. He was friends with Robert Downey Jr. and obviously Warren Beatty, and and he was. And you, I mean, heck! How many times do I say like, ah, oh, you're talking about my friend, Sarah Solomon? Uh, yeah, uh, you like cock, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, what are you supposed to do? But this guy was a sleaze and a half. I've known him for like twenty or thirty years. He, he was a horrible. You know, he was just a drug addict and a mess and. How you know how he got to continue to make movies in Hollywood is a miracle, obviously Robert Downey liked him and felt and took pity on him it 's amazing that those two work together again after the nonsense that was the pickup artist where Warren Beatty has to pick up and start directing for a guy because he 's a complete mess i can 't believe nobody else knows that story but me it 's so weird it 's got to be somewhere. I looked up the pickup artist on wikipedia there 's no information in it maybe it 'll pick up. Or maybe it was a secret and, you know, heck, it's been 30 years. Who gives a shit? It's been exactly 30 years. I'm pretty sure that was 1987. Why I had the inside information on that then, or maybe I just kind of was always into the entertainment news. I don't know. I just remember it. I remember it. I guess because anything that had Robert Downey Jr., I used to, you know, kind of be drawn to to see what uh, this guy was up to, you know, because I just, you know, he was just such, uh, you know, I was like this guy and you know what's funny I watched Spider-Man Homecoming last night boy that movie was terrific that was really really fun it was a good Spider-Man movie um, and Robert Downey Jr. he's, he's so good in it <laughs> it's like it's and then you just think I was like watching Weird Science right after it and there he is you know 1985 he's so young like, this guy's been making movies for 30 years um, it's so funny but you know he's just a, he he is a good actor but he's such a prick you know like, <laughs> but that's but that's his character too, so he found a way to work it out. It's uh, think about all the people that you know, and this guy's been able to not only just um, you know keep it together when well, not keep it together, but to to be in the focus of people and a list movies for years. But I mean, to to, to a list, I'm talking about. I mean, money making movies. I mean, wow, you know. And then to get into the superhero franchises, Jesus. You know he hates it at this point, but wow, what a, what a rack. This guy is completely undeserving in a way. But then you could look at it the other way where he's like been working for so long. Why not deserving? You know what I mean? It's hard to make it as a child actor because that's what he was for sure. And he had a horrible father, but his father was a director. Again, you know, I get screwed because my father was a Braun girdle salesman, so I get nothing, you know? My father was a director. I could have made it somewhere. You know, I could have I gotten a chance. I could have gotten an opportunity. Well, mm. this, uh, so I also saw Wonder Woman over the weekend, too, and I thought Wonder Woman was pretty good. It was okay. It was good. You know, I don't want to uh, play it down. Any, any girl I talk to, like, you better have liked Wonder Woman. Um, and I did like it, but Spider-Man was better, much better, much better. It was so entertaining. Meanwhile, how mad, and I just found out, my friend Caitlin at work told me that the guy who plays Spider-Man is British, is British, people. If everybody's complaining about everything, let's complain about this. Why am I the only person? Why should our superhero, our American superheroes, the greatest thing America's created in comic books and all this kind of stuff, why should they be Brit- why they be played by British actors? Come on, man. I don't like that. I don't like American soldiers being played by British actors and I don't like comic book heroes being played by British actors. It's really pissing me off. I, I can't believe nobody else is complaining. You know, if they're all complaining about the Harvey Weinstein and everything else and all this. And, oh, you can't have an Asian guy playing M. Butterfly anymore. Oh, it's got to be an Asian guy. I mean, fuck you. Let's do this too. It's got to be an American playing Spider-Man. It, 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 come on. What are you saying? What are you saying? There's not one American actor that's decent. That, 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 that's what. That's what Hollywood's saying. American actors are horrible actors. It's probably true. But Robert Downey Jr. can't be in everything. He's already in the franchise. There's no one else. There's not one American kid that's a good actor. I guess that's the case. I guess that's the case. There's not one good American actor in our country today. That's what the movies are saying to us. That is what the movies are saying. That's what the Oscars are saying. That American actors stink. Well, somebody's got to take it back. I'll tell you something. Talk about this with Moss. I don't know if he'll be forthcoming about it. We'll see you next week. We'll talk about more. Let's put a bookmark in that, and we'll see what happens. Uh, by the way, oh, I guess this will air on Monday. Um, yeah, I'm on TV uh, yesterday. I was on at 2.30 in the afternoon uh, on this Better Man show, so mm, I'll tell you about that next week, I guess, uh, even though next week we're playing the, uh, the last one from L.A., uh, since we left you last time, uh, we were with Memo last time, and I went to his pinball bar called Solid State in Woodside, Queens. It was terrific and really fun. Saw that uh, midget again, you know, <laughs> reconnected with him after 20 years. He's still angry. Uh, He's very angry. He's yelling at Memo. He's yelling at it. There's nothing funnier than an angry midget running a bar. Uh, and the, the pinball machines were great, they were really cool and really fun. I had a good time. The Mar- they have a Mario Brothers one and a Ghostbusters one. And I was like really enjoying myself playing old fashioned pinball, not just the arcade games. You know, I did usually if there's arcade games, I'll go with those. But the old fashioned pinball was really fun. I wasn't doing horrible. I wasn't doing horrible. I think, I, you know, I can do better. Uh, but uh, that was really fun. The bar is great and it was very convenient to get to. Uh, it's right off the seven train, so that's pretty good. Um, And the day after we did our podcast last time, I went to Artie, uh, Artie Lang's birthday dinner. Uh, and her sis his sister put it together, and he, you know Artie, he just starts inviting everybody. He's like, "Oh, come to the birthday, come to the birthday," and and Stacy was getting crazy nervous because you know she had it, it. It's kind of funny. Why throw a party like that for Artie? She had it where it's like, okay, I've exactly. It was like that Mary Tyler Moore episode where the congresswoman's coming over and she and Betty White only makes enough food for exactly six and Mr. Grant's got to put some back. That's what Stacey did. And I don't know why you'd throw technically a dinner party for Artie. You know, it just doesn't add up. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but she was very nervous about the people. He invited um, Anthony Cumia and his girlfriend and I guess the producer of his show, Keith, and his wife. And, uh, well, I don't know whether they were invited. I think Artie invited them. And then they bought their wives. But everything worked out. It was fine. And, of course, Russ and me and Atel. And uh, and she was just very uptight. I think her, his mom was invited, but she didn't show up, which is, you know, so lang. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we had a really good time. You know, that's the first, maybe the second time I met Anthony Cumia. And he, we, had, we had a great time. We really hit it off. He was terrific. We were having a great time. We were laughing. We were just doing movie lines the whole time. Uh, I, I don't think he knew I did The Godfather shows, which was really funny. He's like, well, you know a lot about The Godfather. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Artie had a really good time. And then I did The Artie and Anthony show uh, last week, and I had a really good time on that. Um, a really good time. I, I like this. Uh, I like Anthony. It's funny. I've, can, can you imagine all these years? I never I never heard his show. I never met him before. It's so weird. Uh, but I like him. I like him, and I like that. And obviously, I like Artie and... Uh, I don't know what happened on that show my, I, I don't know whether I was laughing or so My nose started running It was so embarrassing Because it's on TV You know it's so funny The one time I do somebody's show Like a podcast And it's televised And Or you know Streaming And I i to blow my nose Well I used to have to do that At Artie's all the time Because I was crying all the time But at least then I could get up And I can get a t- You know here It's very embarrassing Thank God they got The producers were cool And they bought me a, a Kleenex I mean how embarrassing Oh, So it was like Coming out It was like gross I was, like, really getting uptight about it. Um, but that was fun, too. That was really fun doing that, I got to say. and also did the uh, roller derby last Saturday where the girls won. And I, I got to say, I think I did I, I I did a good job. I was by myself, and I think I'm getting the hang of, like, doing it. I wish I could do it by myself all the time. I can't stand this other twat that they have. Maybe they'll let me do it. But I did so many podcasts last week. So I did Artie and Anthony. I did the Keeping Joe podcast with the Sam Murrell, uh Phil Hanley, Joe Mackey podcast. Uh, And then I did David Feldman's podcast on Saturday with Matteo, which was really fun, but I I didn't think I was doing a good job. But Feldman, he just loves when I do the... I don't know. He just finds it so funny, and I like Feldman a lot. Um, So that was really fun. That was on Saturday. And we ended up talking about... uh, Because Matteo, who I got to have on the show, does an amazing Liza Minnelli imitation. Now, obviously, all I want to do is have Scotty in here, Liza's publicist, with Matteo doing Liza. He's going to, Scotty will get so angry that, oh, it's like i got to televise it because I don't know how long he'll stay when Matteo starts doing damaging stuff. But Matteo's imitation is so good that Scotty's got to shut up and just uh, realize that it's so awesome. But it would be so funny to get the two of them in here, right? I'm going to try and work that out. Um, meanwhile he did the Liza Melly, and we were just talking about like wouldn't it be a good idea to just interview Liza Manelli, like a joke like you know like I could do it or Frank Santapadre could do it like interview Mateo playing Liza the whole time which maybe I should just do that on this show he said uh, they were doing it on Race Wars kind of but I, I should just pretend to do it. we should like kind of script out a little something
1: mm.
2: but then I was telling him and David about the a classic not really a classic but this I've been thinking about it my whole life because I've been thinking about doing something like in character where Frank Santa Padre uh, Gilbert's uh, co-host interviews me as i would always think thinking about Charlton Heston you know like um now Chuck you had done uh, Soilent Green yeah, it turns out soiling Green is people uh sorry spoiler alert um so anyway there was an old SCTV where Martin Short is in a character as Brock Loynihan, I think that's his name, and he is interviewing for nine minutes. He's interviewing Dave Thomas playing Bob Hope. And and it's so it's so more brilliant than anybody could possibly imagine that that more brilliant than Saturday Night Live could ever do. More brilliant than any sketch you've ever seen, because they let it play out. And they, nine minutes, maybe there's a commercial break in between, but they don't go crazy. They don't go for big laughs. They pretty much pretend, and it could have been anybody, but Martin Short is just as funny in character interviewing. You know, Martin Short is clearly a genius, but Dave Thomas's Bob Hope imitation was so good and nobody else does it that they just really gave him a forum to do Bob Hope as if he was being interviewed with the most ridiculous questions but they but they let it play and it's a, i'm going to give you a piece of it i'm not going to play the whole thing but even no, though i want to but it's you're never going to see anything like this again and it's a shame because they have shows like this like on Netflix where you could do something like this where i think people would be if somebody is this good at doing an invitation with the makeup and everything
3: why not Take a chance. He has been called an American institution. He's been able to call over nine American presidents friends. And for over 50 years, he has made us laugh at the lunacy of the world around us. I'm Brock Lineahan, and my very special guest today on Stars and One is that intriguing compilation of complexities, octogenarian Bob Hope. Cleveland, Ohio, 1908 and a six-year-old Leslie Townshope sits in the Alhambra movie cinema, awaiting the first reel, the first film he will ever see. Was that the first time that you fell in love with
4: the concept of cinema? Boy, that's wild. That's amazing. Who does your research here anyway, Methuselah? If you were making films today, what kind of comedies would you be gearing the public toward? Well, I don't know. I mean... When you take a look at a horror movie like Psycho 2 and it gets big laughs in the theater. I was there. I was in the valley watching that. And I saw Tony Perkins just send them into the aisles in ways that I wish I could, you know. <laughs> I mean, when he opened that drawer and looked at that knife, they were just like, you had to pick them up off the floor with spatulas. They loved that. But, uh, so I don't know. I, I think I'd do horrors if I was doing comedy today.
3: Funny horror movies.
4: Yeah. Who might you use as the current crop of fellow comedians? What do you mean, those National Lampoon kids? Whoever. No, I don't A think.
3: Madeline Kahn, perhaps. Can you imagine Kahn and Hope? It could be intriguing.
4: Now, she's more Mel Brooks, you know. She's not really, I, I don't really swing with her, you know. I, I, she's into that kind of a, kind of a Mel Brooks zaniness that I never related to. You know, he does some stuff that I really don't understand. You know, he did a movie, Silent Movie, where he didn't talk in the whole movie. Huh. How could anybody do that these days?
3: Would you like to tell us a little bit about your next special? I'm sure you want to promote something. You rarely appear on a show without a reason of your own. Geez,
4: you're unreasonably bitter. No, I don't have I don't have anything to promote right now, you know. I'm just kind of taking it easy. I'm, I'm as you'd say, between gigs. Vietnam. I'll, a war. Let's, let's leave this area alone, come on. A
3: war that many regret, Mr. Hope.
4: Yeah, I guess I do. Do you?
3: Do you not feel the alienation of the youth that took place during that war for you are you kidding me this is fucking brilliant it's
2: uh, he's asking about Vienna uh, let's leave that alone it's it's like a real interview it's it's insane it
3: uh, this, it's amazing right has been a youth market you were never able to recapture and therefore led to you retiring from films in 72
4: with the exception of the Frank Oz participation <sighs> you know you could. You have a way of asking a question that makes you forget what it's all about by the time you get to the end. You got. You, you when you stop talking, it's like walking to the edge of a cliff. I have no idea what you just asked. Was something about Vietnam? Vietnam. Yeah, that bummed me out. I really I blame the whole thing in Vietnam on the French. They've been weasels from the from day one. I did Paris Holiday with Fernandel, and I found out just what kind of weasels the french are you know they may love jerry lewis but i don't have a high regard for them at all how does bob hope stay in shape i get up in the morning at about six o'clock and i have a bowl of stewed fruit and then i uh then i go and hang from a bar for about an hour and uh then i make a couple of calls hang from a bar or go to a bar (laughs) No, hang from a bar you nit i do it to straighten out my back I don't drink, you know.
3: How do you respond to Christina
4: Crawford or Gary Crosby writing books about their late parents? I think they're little wimps. Little wimpy liars is what they are. I'll tell you something, boy. I was, I was out with Crosby's dad every day on the golf course, and he never beat me once. Why don't we pause for this station identification?
2: That's just the first half of the interview. Tell me if you've ever heard anything like that. You'd never be able to do that today, but you should because they're just, I have no idea whether it's scripted or not. I, I don't know whether they're letting Dave Thomas answer the question. Maybe they did it different ways. I mean, his answers are, they're, they're perfect. <laughs> I mean, I have a bowl of stewed fruit. I don't know whether he knows this stuff. The, the, the names he's coming up with for the movies he does, it's a... Uh, it's fascinating the knowledge he might have or whether it was written it probably was but who knows I mean you know I'd really like to get to the bottom of it someday I mean obviously interviewing Martin Short would be one of the greatest achievements or let alone Dave Thomas I, I sometimes I always think everybody's dead you know but um boy isn't that fascinating and then um, I remember later he uh he talks about that's why I played the Battlestar Collective theme I mean, he he talks about something. You know, I'd like to get somebody to play uh, me in the thing. Maybe that Gil Gerard. Gil Gerard would be good. Uh, that's Buck Rogers. <laughs> the fact that he mentions Gil Gerard, it's like it's also like a, a little time capsule too. Who the fuck would mention Gil Gerard at anything? But I I just think that is just unbelievable. Um, unbelievable uh, comedy writing. It. it I don't even know, I don't, you know, it's just, I, and the, when they, and the way, even Martin Short, the way he does the questions, he goes, Cleveland, 1908, I mean, he's so funny too, I mean, that it's 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 brilliant, it's so much fun, and uh, maybe we'll play uh, the other half like another time, but I am just absolutely uh, fascinated by that, I hope you are too, and I was able to find that clip. Um. Also, last week, as I told you, my sister and I uh to uh, just complete the homosexuality thing went to go see Andrea McCardle at 54 below. Now Andrea McCardle, for those of you uh who don't listen to this podcast uh, for the Broadway stuff, um originated the role of Annie on Broadway. When you hear an ad or anything playing this, the legendary song Tomorrow, it's Andrea McCardle singing.
0: Wait till you meet this young lady in person. She is the young star of the hit Broadway show Annie. She created the role that great opening night on Broadway. We asked her to fly in from Los Angeles where she's just completed a new movie for NBC called Rainbow in which she plays young Judy Garland. She has an extraordinary voice, and she's all of 14. She's going to sing her hit song from the Broadway show, Annie, tomorrow, it's called. Here's Andrea McArdle. Andrea.
4: The sun'll come out tomorrow Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be a sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs
1: and the sorrow till there's none.
4: When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick my
2: that voice of hers was amazing because it was like you know she she was a belter you know like we were talking about last week like ethel merman you know and that's what made the song so powerful in a way why it's i mean it's you know everybody's annoyed by it at this point but let's face it it's a it's an american standard and uh her voice was unbelievable in it so uh, it, it sells the song she was she was the shit You figure she was doing that at, and uh, when she, you know, if she's 14 now, she was doing that at 12 or 13 every night, eight times a week. You know, we always talk about that and how much it takes out of you. That's pretty terrific. Uh, on the Merv Griffin show, I took that clip from there instead of the standard uh, tomorrow one. I thought that would, and it's, a, again, SCTV. All I can think about is Rick Moran is doing Merv Griffin. And uh, she originated the role. Ooh. We'll be right back. And this is her singing it, like, in the cabaret uh, style. She did a new version. So the thing was, she didn't really, yeah, you know, she's not, you know, obviously she's not 12 anymore, but, uh, you know, it's not the same voice anymore, but still exciting to, you know, for me and my the
1: sister. sun will come out tomorrow. That's your bottom dollar that tomorrow. There'll be sun. Just thinking of the karaoke
2: version.
1: Tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick on my chin.
2: I mean, you know, seeing her sing the song, uh, listen, she first of all, I'm drinking, I'm having a good time, I'm having a couple of, when I go to that place, I always have a martini. Why wouldn't I have a martini, right? A couple of olives, uh, I think I had two, two martinis usually put me overboard, so yeah, I think I had two martinis and a beer, so I was pretty hammered, And, and she came out through the audience, which normally I hate, but she was right next to me. And I was, if you could have seen my face, I was so excited. I don't know if you remember this, uh, when Quagmire was on stage with Barry Manilow, and his face is just wide open. It was, it was like that, like an, like an idiot. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. For this next song, I'm gonna need some help from a member of the audience. So let's see. Um what's your name? Claire. Uh no, I don't like that. Uh what's yours? Harriet! Uh no, it's gotta be two syllables.
4: Peter! Cleveland!
1: Joseph! Joseph! Quagmire! Wow, that's exotic. All right, why don't you come up and join me on the stage? Go, 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 go! Oh my go, go, god, go, 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 Claire! oh my god! Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I hate you so much right now! The night goes into morning Just another day Happy people passed my way Looking in their eyes I see a memory I never realized How happy you made me Oh, quite, my uh-huh. Well, you came and you gave without taking I would never take from you, Barry But I sent you away Oh, Quagmire You kissed me and stopped me from shaking And I need you today Oh, Quagmire
2: God, he's so talented. Uh, yeah, that, that was my facial expression when she came on. I was so excited that she was right in front of me. You have to remember, as gay or as youthful as it is, when I was a kid and that show came out and, you know, I, I was, as you all know, I'm a show tune musical theater geek. Uh, when we have the old stereos that you had to, you know, you could stack albums up and they would drop, you know, individually. You could only play one side and then the next album would drop and then you could play that one side I don't know if you remember this or if you're too young, you know maybe you've seen it in the movies the the albums would be up and then they would drop, and then the needle would automatically go to the the album the the record the vinyl record um so what I would do is I had one of the, these really big light timers, you know, like a timer, so I plugged it in and I plugged it into the stereo so exactly at' seven a m the stereo would go on. The record would drop, and it would play uh, Annie. You know the first side, so pretty much you know there's the overture, and then you know then maybe far away. Oh, you know so the the, the first thing I would wake up to was Andrea McCardle, and uh, you know when I, I, I I'm pretty sure we're exactly the same age, so you know she's so in my in my head that seeing her in person, it was it was very exciting. You know, it's weird who you get excited about in life. And like I said, you know, it's not that her singing was that great anymore or anything, but just seeing somebody it's somebody sometimes when you just see your the people that you grew up with live, you know, it's very exciting. Let alone that like I said, the fact that we're the same age, you know, like you know, like when I get to finally meet Robbie Wrist. I mean, we're probably about the same age. You know, when, you, when you're when you a kid and you see kid actors and, you know, you just, for, you don't know. You know, you forget and they're like, they've lived this whole other life and, you know, you dream of, I wonder what their life is like or whatever. And then it turns out we're all the same age and it, it's quite fascinating, you know? And, you know, somebody like Jodie Foster or or people like, you know, people that I used to see on, you know, The, the Courtship of Eddie's Father or the Partridge Family, Jodie Foster, you know, and now she's... Jody Foster, you know, we're the same age. I mean, we're you know, I like we could swap stories. Like, so when you were twelve, what were you doing? It's like, oh, I was um, changing because you know, I had those uh, every Wednesday. You know, I had two shows, so I wasn't able to actually you know go to track practice. You know, what were you doing? I'm like, oh, I was crying in my bedroom uh, because I wasn't doing what you were doing. Um, it, it, it's just you know, it's kind of interesting and fascinating to you know when you meet. I don't want to say my hero. I don't think she was my hero because, well, you know, I was going to say because I'm a boy. But meanwhile, I got to meet Andrea Martin and watch her perform, and I was just as quagmirey as uh, as I was for Andrew McCarthy. So, yeah, I guess uh, you know, I just as as a, a man, can a woman any you know woman be a hero? But yeah, I have comic heroes. I mean, I'd like to meet Carol Burnett one day. I got to meet Andrea Martin. What you don't think I'd want to meet Catherine O'Hara too? I mean, these are. Female comedian legends. It's just that there weren't that many back then, and those two were amazing. Would I have liked to have met uh, Gilda Radner? Sure, I guess so. Um, I don't. I think Andrea Martin and Catherine Allen were better, uh, but you know what? They, they're different. But you know, I mean these these were comedy heroes, I guess. Even though they were women, I guess uh, you know if you're a man, just a man doesn't have to be your hero. It's funny because when you talk to women, mostly men are their heroes. You know, especially in comedy. You know, who's Sarah Silverman's hero? Steve Martin. Uh, You know, it makes sense because there just wasn't that many women. So obviously, you know, I have many male comedy heroes like Rodney or people like that. Um, But it is funny that I did have these, you know, definitely two, three female comedy heroes because they were so funny. I mean, Carol Burnett was, you know, her show was what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, is it the 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 best show? I back then it certainly was because you're a kid. You don't you don't know what's funny, and now I don't know whether it holds up too much. Although, if you do watch the uh the classic Gone with the Wind episode, and you see her come down in the curtain rods, and you just hear the audience go crazy, it it does give you this uh, unbelievable feeling. We've spoken about this before on things like that, like where Sammy Davis Jr. kisses Archie Bunker. And just the audience reaction, and I, I, I just have to believe with all my heart that it's real and it's not sweetened. It just really just, like, it gives you this feeling. We, I was talking about this today with somebody at work. I was watching a lot of MASH on Friday. And, you know, and just like we were listening to um, the Bob Hope interview, they have the the fake laugh, the canned laughter. Uh, now, why is that necessary? I don't know. But w- the television networks were so afraid not to use it. <laughs> like, Why in a show like MASH do you need canned laughter? You know there's no audience there. Why did they think we were so stupid that we didn't know when to laugh? But that's what the networks thought of us, um, all of us Americans that we're idiots. Uh, it's kind of weird when you think about it. And MASH was smart. And they're like, well, can we at least not have the laughs in the operating room? And they're like, all right, we'll give you that. So they would, you know, Alan Alda and the staff, the creators would always just be like, let's make ones where we, you know, don't use the laugh track. Let's try and get away from that. But they weren't allowed to not use it. It's So weird. like, again, you heard, and they would do that in our cartoons on Saturday mornings. I think I played a couple of them before, like, uh, you know, like we were playing that McDuff one and they have canned laughter or let alone, and that's a live action one. What about some of the cartoons? You know, you watch Jabberjaw. And they have laughs, or even Scooby. Did Scooby-Doo have Scooby-Doo? Might not have had it, but you know, they they were trying to be like sitcoms. Like I, 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 it's it's hard to explain. It's hard to it's. You always wonder what the reasoning for it was, and why we needed it all. Like why does something like uh, King of Queens need to be taped in front of a live audience? Uh, Why? uh but i guess there is something to it when the laughs are real and they're not sweetened that makes you feel like you're part of the show i guess i don't know you know at this point why would anything be taped in front of a live audience for what reason uh you know i don't i don't know i guess it just seems more like a like an event then i suppose but these sitcoms I mean, how are they eventful how is watching kevin can wait eventful you know i'm like oh I wish I was in that audience No one's saying that So why film it In front of a live audience A little confusing But I think they're Certainly getting away From that Um, Also I've seen Sarah Silverman's New show I Love You America Which I didn't think I'd want to see Because you know We don't We have Differentiating uh, Political views But it's very good That's taped in front Of a live audience But that makes sense She's a comedian And her stuff is This is the way Bill Mars is taped In front of a live audience That makes sense Um. But it's funny about sitcoms because it's like a, it's kind of like a play. And plays never do well when they're broadcast or when they're shown on television. I don't know. Whatever. Yo, whatever. But uh yeah, this uh Oh, so uh one other thing. Andrew McCardle, I guess she was really just stretching it because, you know, she's really only known for Annie, and if you Really, we're kind of following her career. She was also in Starlight Express, you know, which was done on roller skates. And that's pretty much it if you're not a huge fan. Uh, I think she has some stuff going on. I'm really going to try and get her on the podcast. Why not? Right. Um, but she sang this song because she was in one episode. Welcome
1: back. Take it out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well the names have all changed since you hung around. But those dreams have remained and they turned around. Whatever. <laughs> Who'd have thought they'd need you? Who'd have thought need jump right there yeah. where we need to? You. you know I never knew the we you. Yeah, we teach a life we got them on the spot welcome back welcome back welcome back welcome back welcome back welcome back I guess that's it what the second verse we always could spot a friend.
2: nobody knows the lrkch this one welcome
1: back and i smile when I think it must have been why is this song so good and I know what a scene you were learning in Cause there's something
2: that made me come back again. And
1: what, what could ever lead you? What could ever lead you? Right here, where we need ya. Yeah, where we need you. Yeah, we tease him a lot, cause we got him on the spot. Welcome back. 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 And then I think the harmonica. Comes. Oh, there it is.
2: Yeah, I know it tell you why I know it. Um, I was trying to get a clip of it, but it's I don't have a Hulu account. Episode 18, season one of Saturday Night Live with starring Raquel Welch, which I watched the other day because I, I did I tape it or no, I watched it. I watched it on something but I wanted to watch it because Raquel Welch was so hot back then. So I was like, just wanted to watch it. Watch, watching those season one ones are amazing. So this guy's on it. John Sebastian, I think his name is the guy who did it. And I was trying to get a clip of it because he sings this song, but he messes up at the beginning and he has to start over. And it's awkward. And I can't find it anywhere. I mean, that, that's legendary. Uh, and he looked like a complete asshole, which is probably why he was never heard from again. But that song rules. And um, so she sang that song, which, I mean, what's better than that? You know, what crowd is what, what, who's she performing to? Who, the people same people like Justin Bieber are going to be there? We were thrilled to see her do Welcome Back Connor. So she played Horshack's uh, sister in one episode, Doris Horshack. Well, Doris, you got to understand, Mr. Carter. Uh, Doris Horshack. So she was unwelcome by Connor. Ah, man, isn't that cool? And she's like, she's proud of it. Thank God, right? Uh, so that it was a fun show, and then we went to this uh, place. My sister and I. We had these uh, these drinks where they smoke, like, um, what is that stuff? Uh, uh, oh my God, a bourbon. Where they like they smoke? They bring out like a, a system. And they smoke it, and the more you leave it in there, the, the sweeter it gets or whatever, you're going to take it out. It's kind of fun, like a speakeasy. That was a fun night. Andrea McCardle, huh? What's she all about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, I'd really like to have her on the show. I feel like there was something else I wanted to talk about about her, but I don't think there is. What else did I want to say today? I think there was... Oh, there was one other thing about the uh, the Harvey Weinstein thing again. There's another thing I remember back in the 90s. And I remember the James Toback thing in the 80s. but I And I cannot find anything. But I swear to God, I know I'm not crazy. There's a guy named Eric Schaefer. He got lucky and got to direct a couple of movies, including one called, I believe, If Lucy Fell with Elle McPherson and Sarah Jessica Parker. Now, I don't remember the parties at hand, but I remember this particular director being obsessed because I always thought it was Ed Burns, but I don't think it was him. It was Eric Schaefer, and I think he got obsessed with Elle McPherson, who wouldn't, but I don't remember him or something, and he got in trouble, like for stalking her and being completely obsessed. I could swear I remember that story. I cannot find information I maybe need to dig a little deeper. I didn't do all that much research. And in fact, he made a movie that I think my friend Lisa Ullman was in on Showtime called Why Am I Not Yet Married? Wait, did I make that one? Uh, Eric Schaefer, another crazy person. But, but being obsessed with El McPherson and, and being in a towel and making somebody blow you are two different things. He, he just got obsessed, and we've all been there. Uh, you know, who wouldn't get obsessed with her? But again, I think he made the movie so he could make out with Al McPherson. Now, he did a brilliant thing, and I've done this before because you don't want to look like a fool. Now, I've told you this before. In every play or thing that I write, I usually put in a make-out scene, and you pray that it doesn't look like I'm just trying to get laid in the play. And so every other one, I make it so somebody else is fooling around with the girl. So it doesn't look like I'm doing it on purpose. Now, what are you going to do? You end up writing for yourself. And, you know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to have a woman in I'm not going to. I wouldn't put in a kissing scene. Of course, I'm going to put in a kissing scene. But so this guy brilliantly, what he did in the movie, and I've never seen it because I understand it's a bag of crap, is he's married to El McPherson and is so in love with Sarah Jessica Parker in the movie that he leaves Elle McPherson. So then you're like, oh, um, yeah, that's smart. Because obviously, if it was the other way, that's too obvious a movie. I believe the premise is, is that that they're so depressed. Is that what it is? That they're going to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge if they don't get married by the time they're thirty. Some, or they're going to commit. Yeah, they're going to commit suicide if they're not altogether married by thirty. And it's a shitty plot. It's a crappy movie, and for some reason this guy is still around. But I know, and I'm waiting for the day that this guy gets busted just like everybody else is. Everybody's going down. And you know what? You want to hear the theory? The theory? The theory. All this happened after Hugh Hefner died, right after. Like the day after he died, all the secrets were let out. Like this one man who invented hitting on women, who invented perversion in a way, uh, died and all the secrets were let out of the vault. Have you thought about that at all? Have you thought about that at all? Hugh Hefner. Dying caused all of this. Think about that. Think about that when I see you next week on the podcast. Let us sink in. Yes. Now remember, next week uh, we have uh, our last one from Los Angeles that's going to be unbelievable. Unbelievable. Last well, one for Los Angeles. Uh oh. It's happening. Remember. It's going to be Halloween soon. I want everybody to dress up and have a lovely time. Halloween 2017. Remember, next year we'll be doing the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Don't forget that. I'm not going to forget. You got to remind me, too. Somebody remind me in, uh, I don't know, June. Somebody on Twitter, remind me in June I was going to do the Paul Lynn Halloween special in October. I, I might not even need more modus if I want to do it at the Comedy Cellar. I'll find a place and I'll do it. I promise you. Anyway, next week we have our interview with Mitch Watson. I promise you it'll be an excellent time. We talk about, you know, remember his dad worked on Land of the Lost and H.R. Puppin stuff and all that stuff. So that's next week on the podcast. We'll see you then, everybody. A great time.